This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 51. Yeah, a lot of people have just talked about how communication is so different across the generations. And yeah, it's a little bit of a generalization, but the basic way to sum it up is that the boomer wants to see you face to face. The Gen Xer wants to send you an email. Millennial wants to text you and then Gen Z wants to make TikTok video. Not quite completely accurate, but I think this is one of the reasons we have such big generation gaps now. I think generation gaps are bigger now than they were, say, in the boomers and their parents in the 60s. They're at least approaching that level. And some of that is that huge difference in the way people communicate. What is fact and what is fiction when it comes to generational differences? How do generational differences impact how we communicate and collaborate. Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field and most importantly, your career to the next level. Thanks for listening to the Future of HR podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR or any of our past episodes, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps us with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. I also love hearing your feedback on the podcast, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and drop me a line on your ideas around guests, topics, or anything else you believe would make the podcast even better. With that, my guest today is Dr. Gene Twenge. Gene is a professor of psychology at San Diego State University and the author of more than 180 scientific publications and several books based on her research into generational change, including some of my personal favorites, Generation Me, iGen, and her latest book, Generations, the real differences between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and what they mean for America's future. As an expert on generational differences in technology, what really makes Gene's research and books stand out is that they're based on a data set of over 39 million people from robust national surveys, some going back nearly a century. This data-driven approach has allowed her to uncover what are the real differences between generations and how have we gotten here? I highly recommend all of Jean's books, but her latest generations might be her most important one yet as she details the research and facts on each generation and how they'll impact our organizations and society. This was a fantastic conversation with Jean and we'll likely need to have her back in the podcast. Just so much we didn't have time to discuss. But we did get to some really important topics, including... Why technology changes over time are the biggest driver of generational differences. What makes Gen Z different from other generations and what they want out of work. Why today's young adults are taking longer than ever before to achieve adult milestones. How millennials entering the C-suite are changing our organizations and how we work. And why Gen Z values mental health and will expect organizations to value this as well and much more. Gene, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to talk with you today. Really excited to dig into 
these generational differences, your research. Honestly, there's no one else, in my opinion, we could have on the show to talk about generational differences than you. So appreciate you being here. My first question to get us started is that you spent your entire academic career studying generational differences. Where did that passion come from? You know, it really came from, you know, a couple of kind of unusual circumstances, like a lot of things in uh, research. I kind of stumbled across it. So it was the early 90s. I was working on my undergrad honors thesis and noticed that my fellow students filling out questionnaires were looking different from what the 1970s testing said they should look like. And then I later looked into that further and found out, well, it wasn't just that simple of people. There really had been a fundamental shift in how people respond to questions about their personality, especially women, just being more likely to say that they were assertive and that they felt like leaders just in a 20-year period. And that happened to be around the same time that people were trying to figure out Gen X. I'm a Gen Xer myself. And there was the sudden realization that young adults weren't boomers anymore, but nobody could really figure out who they were. And there was lots of speculation, lots of stereotyping, and not a whole lot of data. And that made me realize that was a great avenue for future research because it was very interesting, something people were very passionate about understanding, but there wasn't a whole lot done on it, at least in terms of research. I didn't know that. So before that time period, we really weren't defining generations the way we do it today by labeling. Gen X was really the first one after baby boomers. Am I understanding that correctly? There had been informally a few things here and there, people labeling generations, but I think that is about right, that there was the push to understand boomers, and they were fairly well-defined in, say, the 60s and 70s. But it really was that early 90s period, I think, when we can trace a modern fascination with generation. That's so interesting. And before we jump into the research on your new book, maybe help us understand a little bit more about the causes of generational differences and, and how can we really discover the actual differences among generations? Because there's lots of controversy there. Yeah. So, you know, first is why did generations differ in the first place? And the kind of classic theory is that generations are different because they experience major events at different points in their lives. So wars, pandemics, economic recession, and so on. And of course, those do have an impact on lives and on people's viewpoints, but not as much as day-to-day life. And if you think about what makes day-to-day life different now than, say, 200 years ago or 100 years ago or 50 years ago, it's changes in technology. So not just computers and smartphones and social media, but things like labor-saving devices like washing machines, better medical care, faster transportation. These are the reasons why our lives are so different from our grandparents, our great-grandparents, even our parents, compared to when they were the same age. And technology has a big impact on values as well. So technology tends to lead to more individualism, more focus on the self and less on others, because people live longer with better technology. The whole developmental trajectory slows down. Teens are less likely to get their driver's license or have a paid job in high school. Young adults take longer to settle into their careers and get married to have children. Middle-aged people look and feel younger than their parents and grandparents did at the same age. It's the origin of the new 40. So there's some truth to that. So that's the why piece. 
then how do we figure out how generations really differ? I think the best way is to go straight to the source, to ask people, to draw from big surveys that have done that. And that's what I did in this book. About 39 million people filled out one or another of the surveys over time. So the great thing about our current age for understanding generations is we live in the age of big data. We don't have to guess anymore about what the generational differences are. We don't have to rely on stereotypes or a few observations here and there. We've got data on millions and millions of people, in many cases, surveys that had done every year for decades. And that is really powerful because it means we can zero in on what's really different, what's really a generational difference as opposed to someone just being a certain. That is really the key piece around your research because so much of what we get in popular culture is Gen Z is this, you know, they want a career that's meaningful. Like baby boomers and Gen X or anyone else doesn't want a career that's meaningful. And we key off of that. But what I think is going to be interesting, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about is what your research really has uncovered. That is true because some of that's just life stage. And so that's where I think people get into this debate. And really, I've seen HR people do entire programs trying to think about generational differences that's maybe not based on research. So let's talk more about your new book, because I do think we want to dive deeper into this technology, how it's impacting the generations, and how it's impacting our values and how we're operating. In your new book, Generations, The Real Difference Between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, you set out to answer some very specific questions about generational differences. Tell us more about the questions you were looking to answer with the book and what you're hoping your research would uncover. Yeah, so really the big goal was to dig into all this data and figure out what are the things that really differ. When you take age out of the equation, what are the things that are really different? So, for example, a lot of people are trying to figure out Gen Z because they're the majority of new uh, young employees. And looking at work attitudes and job values is a great example because there's tons of speculation. There's even some data that's collected at one time, and that gives a snapshot, but it doesn't tell us what's really different because maybe what Gen Z wants is young employees. It's the same as young employees have always wanted, and we don't know if that's true unless we have that data that goes back in time. And we do have some of that for job attitudes and job values. And it turns out that piece around wanting a job that's interesting and meaningful doesn't really stand out that much. That's more something that young people want that hasn't changed that much over the generations. What does really show up for Gen Z is they want jobs where they can be helpful to others. That's where their job values are somewhat different from previous generations. Gen Z just really stands out when you look at a big survey of 18-year-olds. So those are either about ready to go into college or, into, or straight into the workplace. And they're asked in different aspects of jobs. And for Gen Z, wanting a job that's directly helpful to others stands out. They score higher on than previous generations did at the same age. The other thing that really stands out that's been consistent for a while is work-life balance. So if you look at the shift from boomers to Gen Xers, to millennials, to Gen Z, that's what's really built over time is that desire for flexibility and for more work-life balance. That's the biggest generational difference in work values and attitudes when you look at people at the same So double-clicking on that, the need or want for work-life balance, 
has shifted? And is it that people who are younger want more work-life balance and flexibility than people who are older, like boomers versus Gen Y and Gen Z? Tell us more about that so I don't misinterpret it. Well, it's not age. It's not being younger versus older. It's that at the age of 18, say millennials and Gen Z were much more likely to say that they wanted a job that was flexible, where they could take more time off, where they didn't necessarily have to work as hard compared to say what boomers were saying at 18 in the 70s. Thank you for clarifying that. And I think that's easy to forget because we sort of get into what age and of course you're not asking somebody who's 50 years old, they want more flexibility or looking at that data over time, which is why it's so much more valid. So we're seeing that shift. The perception of having more flexibility is something that is more desired now with this generation at that age versus the boomers at that age. That's right. And that's not necessarily as new as, say, the increase in wanting a job where I can help others, because that's been building, you know, Gen X kind of pioneered that idea of wanting more work-life balance. They were seeing that at 18, and then millennials even more, and Gen Z had continued that trend. What other big differences are you seeing between the generations? There's so many. I go through a lot of differences in this book. So I can give a couple of examples and we can figure out what to dive into the most, but there's changes in family life. There's changes in politics, in religion, in mental health. I pay a lot of attention to mental health as a psychologist, and there's great data on that, um, in how people spend their time, in that speed of development. So when people are getting married and having kids, and for teens, when they're doing those adult things like getting their first job or drinking alcohol. So lots to choose from. I'm really interested in how people are developing into adults and how that's sort of progressing and taking longer. So I think we start to see some of that. And yeah, there's always, I think in the media, kind of like looking at quiet quitting. This generation's not developing as fast enough. They're not becoming adults. They're still living with their parents. Like, is that true? What, what's the data saying around that? Yeah, it, it is. So just across the board, young people are taking long. So they're taking longer to do adult things. They are, as young adults, just taking longer to settle into careers, to get married, to have children. All of those adult milestones have been pushed off. And it's because people live longer. So we have more time. And also... More technology means education takes longer to finish. So we have more people who are getting college degrees. So people don't start work. Not as many people start work at 18 than they used to. So now the that career trajectory is pushed later than it used to. That's really interesting. And we are going to talk a little bit more about how this is impacting the work, organizations, HR, that's what obviously the focus of most of the podcast. But I did want to ask Eugene, because you are the person to ask, you know, what do you say to somebody who says there's not really generational differences, rather it's just differences in age or life stage? Because also a common reframe around maybe why this research isn't as valid as it could be. Yeah, so there's been a lot of discussion of this. And it's interesting because I, I think that we pretty much, almost everybody agrees on the big stuff. Pretty much everybody would agree that living now is different from living 100 years ago or 50 years ago. You really can't dispute that piece. And once you've acknowledged that, 
then clearly someone who's, say, 25 now, who's a member of Gen Z, that they had a different experience growing up from someone who's, say, a Gen Xer, who is maybe 50. So clearly, they had different experiences growing up, and that's probably going to mean they will have some different attitudes and values. That also makes a lot of sense. So what people just end up quibbling over is, oh, but the cutoffs are arbitrary for the birth years. Sure, of course they are, but that's true for pretty much any group that we discuss. Age is a great example. We've been people ages 13 to 19 into a group called teenagers, even though that's very arbitrary, even though 13-year-olds are pretty different from 19-year-olds, just in the way that, for example, people born between 1980 and 1994, who we often call millennials, are going to differ from that first birth year to that last, that the cutoffs are fairly arbitrary, etc. So this idea of the arbitrary cutoffs, it's not unique. It's not unique to generations. It's the same thing of the criticism of, oh, but you know, you're overgeneralizing. Well, again, that's true for any time we group people and do research. That's just the way it's, it's going to go. And the age and life stage idea, that's actually the easiest to refute because you draw from that survey data over time. And then you've addressed that because you're holding age constant. That's really helpful. I know everyone really should take a look at the book because I think there's so much to unpack. And of course, being a gen expert, that's the chapter I went to first. But also, I know narcissism has been on the rise as well. So maybe I'm also falling victim to that. That's something that's true that we're becoming more narcissistic as a society overall. From generation to generation, I've heard that. So the data that we've got is mostly from college students, and it's not linear. Narcissism among college students peaked in 2008 and has actually gone down. All right. Well, I'd love to be corrected on that because I feel like that. In an age of social media, TikTok, et cetera, everyone's posting, you would think that, that would continue to go up and up and up. Interesting. So I think, I think what's happened, though, is at first, say, the early days of social media, it may have driven narcissism, you know, MySpace, for example. But then when it became almost mandatory, it instead ended up driving insecurity. That topic, you talked about mental health, and I know it's something you're passionate about. Maybe give us some of what you're seeing the generational differences around that. Because the technology is so different. I mean, I've got a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and it's, it is a radically different world now than it was when I was growing up because of that. Yeah, it is. And it appears that that's had a negative impact. So the trends in mental health over the generations are complex. The place where we see the most linear and clearest shift is if you look at teens and young adults, there's this huge shift when that age group shifts over from being millennials to being Gen Z. And I'm defining Gen Z as those born 1995 to 2012. So when you see that transition, and with teen samples, this is around 2012, 2011, teen depression began to rise, loneliness, unhappiness, self-harm, suicide, just across the board, something clearly went wrong in the lives of teens. And the data are very consistent. It's not just symptoms. It's also behaviors. We can't write it off by saying, oh, it's people being more willing to admit the problems or overdiagnosis. It's not what it looks like. Emergency room admissions for self-harm, that's not about self-report. So we know that's, that's real. 
These are big changes too. So teen depression doubled between 2011 and 2019. So before the pandemic. So there's a lot of people talking about the adolescent mental health crisis being due to the pandemic. Started nine years before the pandemic, eight, eight or nine years. So then the question is why? And that's what's, that's the biggest, was the biggest change in teens' lives around that time is that's when the smartphone became popular. It's when social media moved from optional to virtually mandatory among teens. Teens started to spend a lot less time with each other face to face. You know, and that brings up something else that a lot of people have discussed with Gen Z. Even though this, this generation has so many amazing advantages, for example, their desire to help other people, there's a lot of concern around their social skills. And that was true before the pandemic, and now it's especially true that they had just not spent as much time with other people face-to-face during their adolescence, which is a critical period for developing those skills, or during their young adulthood. And then they get to the workplace, and they're often uncomfortable in those social situations. So I hear a lot of managers, a lot of HR professionals talking about young employees and social skills training, soft skills, and how that's an increasing area of focus. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up. That is such an important thing to think about because so much of our work really is, you know, all of our work really is relational and social and having that impact. You you have to build relationships and be able to be a productive team member and present yourself well. And that does take time. And so that's unfortunate if that's what's happening with our society and some of the data. Gene, also let's kind of dig into that a little more around some of the other significant challenges that maybe HR leaders would have to face as we think about managing a multi-generational workforce and how should we address those challenges? Yeah, a lot of people have just talked about how communication is so different across the generations. And yeah, it's a little bit of a generalization, but the basic way to sum it up is that the boomer wants to see you face-to-face, the Gen Xer wants to send you an email, Millennial wants to text you, and then Gen Z wants to make TikTok video. Not quite completely accurate, but I think this is one of the reasons we have such big generation gaps now. I think generation gaps are bigger now than they were, say, between the boomers and their parents in the 60s. They're at least approaching that level. And some of that is that huge difference in the way people communicate. There's always been communication gaps and differences around language and slang and so on. But now it's a lot of people say, I feel like Gen Z speak another language. And so I think that's one of the one of the big challenges is the mode of communication, as well as specific terms and language is a big gap. And people are starting to catch up now. But one place that a lot of Gen X parents talk about and Gen X managers is what are all these terms around gender that I've never heard of before. And I think that's starting to resolve itself. But a lot of Gen Z take that for granted that they know what non-binary is, the abbreviated NB, and that's what they call it, NB. And if you know you don't know what NB is, then you know your Gen Z person is going to look like you look at you like you've been living under a rock. What's also interesting when you talk about this, the different ways people want to communicate, and that's a really brilliant way to think about it. It's probably also impacting just the almost the coordination overload that we have because now we're we have email, we have Teams or Zoom calls, we have kind of Slack channels, some people get text messages. There's so many different ways to communicate. And then now we're working remote or hybrid, so it's not even a consistent schedule of seeing each other. 
what would you recommend HR leaders are thinking about doing to tackle some of these multi-generational challenges that we talked about? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's really it. And I think it has to be something to try to get everybody on the same page in terms of you know, how are we going to communicate about certain things? And, you know, maybe there be, might be one way to do it in terms of how we're going to set up meetings and another for other types of communication, but to not have it be so scattered to make sure everybody is on that same page. And then also, I do think it is helpful to have a few conversations about generational differences that, you know, to make sure that, you know, the Gen Z employees just take a minute to think and realize that their boomer and Gen X or colleagues didn't grow up in the same world and they may not know some of the same things that you do. One of the assumptions that I remember having some conversations around this topic, and one of the assumptions was always, was Gen Z, as they kind of age and get into now the C-suite and they're running organizations, things will be fundamentally different. Will it be TikTok videos? Will the management styles be different? What's your take on that? Do you think that will really happen? Or will they sort of start to then, as they get older and more into the Gen X or Boomer's age in the C-suite, will they sort of all of a sudden start to become their parents, if you will? How do you see that kind of playing out? I think you could look at millennials as a great example of how that's played out. That, you know, that's where a lot of millennials are now. The oldest millennials are in their 40s. So some of them are in the C-suite. They are managers. They're often managing Gen Z employees and then suddenly feeling old. But you can see how millennials have grown into those roles and matured. And no, the workplace is not completely different, say, than it was 20 years ago when there were very few millennials in charge. But those core values that millennials have always held are there. Equality, individualism, more informality, and that's changed the workplace. And I think it'll be the same for Gen Z with a lot of their core values. So they share a lot of core values with millennials, but then on top of that, they layer that value of helping others and then just more fluidity around around gender. Are there other big differences when you think about Gen Z and what they're looking for from their careers or organizations compared to the other generations? Yeah, definitely. So the biggest difference between millennials and Gen Z, at least as young adults, is optimism versus pessimism. So millennials as young adults, very optimistic, very high expectations. You know, there was the trope a few years ago of oh, the millennial young employee when asked, or the job candidate when asked, where do you see yourself in five years to say, I'm going to be the boss, I'm going to be the CEO. You know, like not just confidence, but overconfidence sometimes. And Gen Z doesn't have that as much. They're still young. They still have some of that confidence of youth, but not as much. They're lower in self-esteem. By This is what they say about themselves, not what other people observe. They are less satisfied with their lives. They're not as happy. They're more likely to be depressed. In surveys, they're more likely to say that we need to change more things in American society and government. They're very pessimistic very often. And millennials have started to trend toward pessimism a little bit more too. But we, you really do see that with Gen Z. And it's a very stark difference from what we were seeing with millennial young adults 10 or 15 years ago. What do you think is causing them to be more pessimistic than previous generations? Do you have research on that? 
Yeah. You know, I've thought about this a lot. It's a little bit of a mystery, but it's just a very, very common attitude, not just in surveys, but you see it kind of observationally, like looking online, there's this common idea of like, right now it's terrible. This is the worst time to ever live. And then you look objectively, is it really? I don't think so. But it's very pervasive. So I think it comes from a number of factors. So one is if you're unhappy and depressed, that's not just about the emotions you're feeling. It's about how you think. You know, we know that from cognitive behavioral therapy, psychology, that depression by definition is seeing things in a negative light. So I think depression often comes first, maybe from social isolation and too much time on social media, and then it leads to that pessimism. So I think that's one of the key things that's going on. You know, mental health is kind of at the core of some of those issues. And then I think it gets, it gets exacerbated online too, that nobody goes on Twitter and says, everything is fantastic and the economy is great. You know, that's just not the norm. The norm is toward negativity. Negativity gets clicks. It gets reshares, negative news stories, get more play. That's where we are. Yeah, that's unfortunate. If you think about for HR leaders who are really trying to make sure we're driving the right culture, do you have any advice that we should be thinking about? How do we do more for our generations or frankly have better mental health for some of our team members? Yeah, that mental health piece is key. And that's actually something I probably should have mentioned to you as a core value for Gen Z is attention to mental health and taking that issue serious and more and more needed as well. So I think they're right on with that. So I think that's going to be something that will be a central focus in the next few years in HR is more mental health resources. I think, and some of that is going to come from young employees saying, wait, you know, you don't have unlimited therapy visits in our insurance program, or, you know, you don't cover enough people, we have to go too far for it. And there's all of these, whether it's the nitty gritty or just the basic idea of mental health being treated similar to physical in terms of treatment and insurance, I think that's going to be more and more of a focus. Really interesting. And so organizations should be promoting that they have mental health just as much as physical health in terms of what that job value proposition is. That's great. Gene, I'm curious. I typically ask HR people this question, so I'm not sure if you want to answer it. I'll give you two options, to be honest. I think it want to be fair to you because um, you are a professor and an expert in generational research. I typically ask, what's the one word or phrase you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? But I might tweak it for you today and say, what's the one word or phrase that's going to define generational research over the next five to 10 years? Well, I hope that word is going to be data that we just move away from the stereotypes and myths and guesses. I, I really hope we stop seeing the media articles that just make these wild generalizations without any actual data. But I can think of two words that I think will be important in HR in the future, and one is fluid. So gender fluid is where that comes from but also just the changes that are going to come with Gen Z, who is a very different generation and you know has a lot of unique ideas. And I do think mental health is going to be more and more at the forefront. Gene, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast. We learned a lot today. The book is Generations. Everyone needs to go out and read this book, keep studying, and also know that there is data 
behind this generational research. So thank you for what you do. I think it's so important. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Jean for sharing her research on generational differences and how it'll impact our workplace and society. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Carrie Friedman, Global Head of Human Resources at Jefferies. Carrie is a personal friend and tremendous and humble leader. And in our conversation, Carrie's going to share his career journey and how building his expertise in executive coaching gave him the competence and confidence to take on more impactful roles that ultimately helped accelerate his career. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.